You know, and I'm going to do something with this at some point, whether it maybe is to write a book or do a teaching on it. But the, the view that we have in this day and age, especially in the United States, of what the church is, is so far off from what the Bible says. The Bible says that the church, the Word of God has given us, the first thing it says is to reprove us, not, not pat us and make us feel better. It's to correct us. It's to encourage us. It's to challenge us because God is a Father that loves us. He will not sit back and just allow us to go into destruction. He, he knows what's out there. He knows what's coming against us now. He knows what's going to come against your life or against this church. And because He loves us, He is preparing us. So we need to approach the Word of God whenever we hear it to, with, uh, with understanding that God loves me. So I need to hear what God's saying to me today. And it may be something different for each one of you today. That's the wonderful thing about the anointing of the Spirit of God and the Word of God because the Bible says the Word of God is alive, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Jesus said, my words are spirit and they're life. And God wants to breathe into you and into me today the Spirit of life. Second thing is I almost never preach something to you that God's not already preaching to me. So I'm not standing up here through this series saying, you've got to get your act together, and I already have it together. Now God's preaching this to me, challenging me with these issues, and therefore I know He's preparing to challenge you. Praise God. That went over big. All right. So we're going to finish up by miracle this morning. This series undercover. You can put the, the, the image up there. And uh, this is understanding what the Bible means by authority. And the reason authority is so important is because it is a spiritual covering. I've been in ministers' meetings, and some of the times they'll say, well, you know, who's your covering? They're talking about who's your spiritual authority in your life, because being under authority is a covering for us. It's a protection. So we spent some time looking at what the Bible says about that, what the purpose of authority is, and it's not so somebody can feel good about themselves and boss you around. Actually, what we learned is if you've been given authority, first of all, God's given you a responsibility, and one of the things you'll learn on Wednesday nights, when this is taught on Wednesday nights, is with that comes accountability. There's some other things that come with authority we did not have the time to get into, and that's what Gordon will do on Wednesday nights, or part of what he'll do. So we've seen that. And then over the last several weeks, we've been looking at the heart, the heart of, of authority, the heart of submission to authority. It doesn't mean somebody, you know, when, when women read in Ephesians 5 about, you know, wives be subject to your husband, or, oh, him? <laughs> you, you can't mean him. But the word submission does not mean to let somebody boss you around. It's an attitude of the heart. And we saw when we began this part of our study is that Satan put into the heart of uh, Judas to betray the Son of God. He knew he was the Son of God. He knew he was the Messiah. And yet he allowed Satan to put in his heart to betray the Son of God. So Satan tries to sow into our heart something we've taught as the principle of Satan. And we went back and we looked at it in its rebellion. And the reason we spend some time on this is not to beat us up, is to recognize that the root of all sin is rebellion. Because sin is kind of a word that, you know, well, we don't hear it a lot, but all right, you know, we're human, we, you know, we sin. But rebellion is what's at the heart of it. And there's a verse in, Ephesians, in a, a Romans 5 that says, why were we yet his enemies? And I used to think, I was never God's enemy. 
I like God. I love God growing up. I was never his enemy. How could I be? Yeah, I mean, I messed around a little bit and did things I shouldn't have done, said things I shouldn't have said, but I was never God's enemy until I began to have this understanding. The way God created man was in perfect relationship with him, but under the authority of who God was. And what Satan brought into that garden was the very thing we saw he did in heaven. He brought into that spirit of rebellion, which is, I'm going to take into my own hands my own life, because I have certain rights as an individual. And what we saw him do with Eve and then Adam is we saw her begin to question God's motive, first of all by questioning His Word, then questioned God's motive, and then she felt the right to make her own independent judgment about what God had commanded them to do. And that's when the rebellion occurred. And what we've seen is rebellion is nothing else than taking the free will that God gave me. That's what makes us like Him. What makes you like Him is that you have two ears and two hands and two eyes, you know... What makes us like Him is He gave, we're the only creature He gave a free will to. And rebellion is when we take that free will that God gave to us so that we could, as an act of our will, choose to love Him and to worship Him, and instead we use it to love and worship ourselves, To establish our own. And when we do that, we're establishing our own kingdom within God's kingdom, and we're king of our kingdom. That's rebellion. And that's what came in the garden, and that's what you and I were born into. And the purpose of this, search, this part of this study is to recognize what's at the root of sin. And today we're going to patch you up. <laughs> we're going to get healed today. But before we do that, we took last week at, at a man that was a classic example of rebellion in his heart, and it's King Saul. And we saw what Saul did on two occasions is when God had given him instructions through the prophet Samuel and the pressure came on. One of them was to wait seven days, you've got to go into a battle, but you can't go into a battle until you've sought God's blessing by performing what back then you sought it with, which was a sacrifice. And under the law, only a priest or a prophet could perform that sacrifice. A king was not authorized to do that. And when, when Saul's army started deserting him, and the pressure was on because the Philistines were bearing down on him, Saul decided to take things into his own hands and perform his own sacrifice. And when he did, he lost his kingdom. But he didn't lose it right away. Then there was another example where God instructed him to utterly destroy all the Amalekites. And Saul exercises... By, by pressure from the people, independent judgment that, well, it would be better to k- keep the king and the, and the best of the sheep and the, and, the, and the ox. And when Samuel shows up, he calls that rebellion. And he says, rebellion's like the sin of witchcraft or divination. And Saul ended up going to a witch eventually. And at that point, in the meantime, what's happened is now Samuel has anointed a new king, his successor, a young boy named David. Because God said, I want a king now who's after my own heart. And we're talking about the heart. Because Saul's heart was not after God. We found out Saul's heart was after being promoted himself. Because even when he's caught, even when he's confronted with it, he repents and says, I'm sorry, but the repentance is not from his heart, because he says, whatever you do, still make me look good in front of the men. So what he was after was how he looked. We're going to look at his successor today, David. 
King David was a man after Saul's heart. Was he perfect? No. Did he, did he mess up? Yes. Did he sin? Yes. He did some sins worse than Saul. He committed adultery with his, one of his best friend's wife. Not only best friend, he was one of his chief soldiers. And then arranges to have him killed to cover it up. And God still calls him a man after his heart. Because when he was confronted with it, he didn't, wasn't sorry that he got caught. The first words out of his mouth is, I've sinned against my God. I've hurt my God by what I've done. And it broke him at his heart. So we're going to look at two stories to give you an insight into the difference of David's heart and then Saul's heart. And then we're going to apply this to ourselves. So we turn to uh, 1 Samuel 24. Now what's happened is once David is anointed as king, as the future king, he's not on the throne yet. Saul's still king. Saul knows David's his successor. So now Saul, with his bitterness in his heart, begins to pursue David. At one point David says, Have you come out to kill me? Kill a a flea? Basically we say like a flea with a shotgun would be the equivalent of it. Saul's whole army was now devoted to killing this boy because he was jealous. See, once you do it, well, we can't go there, John. We don't have time to go there, John. We don't have time to go there, John. So you've got to understand, Saul's army is now, now dealing with the Philistines. It's trying to destroy David, Saul's successor. Okay. So lots transpired. 1 Samuel chapter 24. Now it happened that when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Take note, David's in the wilderness of Engedi. So Saul took three thousand men, chosen men, from all Israel, and went to seek David with his men in the rocks of the wild goats. What a nice place to be hiding out. And so he came to the sheepfolds by the road, where there was a cave. And Saul went in, I like this translation, it says, to attend to his needs. Some translations said, he went to go to the bathroom. He's going into a cave, verse 16. And it was when David... When, oh, I got ahead of something. Oh, oh, turn too fast here. And David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. So David and his men are hiding back in the dark part of the cave. And Saul says, let's stop him, man. I got to go in and take care of my business. And while he's in there, David and his men are hiding in the back of the cave, and they see Saul come in, and he's rather vulnerable at this spot. I'll just leave that to your imagination. Verse 4. Now listen to this carefully. Then the men of David said to him, This is the day which the Lord has said, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, and you may do to him as if it seems good to you. In other words... This is what we've been waiting for, David. I mean, the the guy who's trying to kill you, God said he'll deliver them into your hands. Here's your opportunity. God has set you up. Take him out and take the throne. So David arose and secretly cut off the corner of Saul's robe. That's so he could show Saul, I could have killed you, but I didn't. Verse 5. Now it happened afterwards, look at this verse 5 that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. Remember, this is about the heart. What's in the heart? It didn't bother Saul's heart to disobey God's commandment. It didn't bother Saul's heart 
to take things into his own hands against God's word and authority. It didn't bother Saul's heart even to get caught as long as he wasn't made to look bad. But David, trying to carry out, he wasn't even trying to kill Saul. He just wants to show Saul, I could have killed you, but I didn't. And now his heart bothers him. We don't have time to go there this morning, but boy, we may do a series on this at some point. The Bible tells us in the Old Testament that the law was written on tables of stone. In the New Testament, it's written on your heart, your conscience. So your conscience is what God uses to tell you right from wrong. And we harden our conscience, disobey our conscience, disregard our conscience when it is God's method of keeping you and me on track. His heart was so sensitive that just realizing I was going to take this, just this into my own hands, and his heart bothered him, troubled him. Verse 6, So he said to the men, Lord forbid that I should do this to my master, the Lord's anointed. Now we're talking about being under authority. What he's saying is, this king still has authority from God, and I'm not going to take it away from him. Even though you've called me, you've ordained me, and you've now said you've taken the anointing from him, I'm not going to take it for myself. And stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. He's still the authority in this kingdom And I'm not going to come against this authority that you gave him, even though he's wrong, even though he's trying to kill me, even though you've given that to me eventually, even though I'm the successor, I'm not going to take it for myself. Notice, David's response to the authority is not based on how good Saul's been. It's based on who gave it to him. And God has not yet put it on David. He's anointed him, but he's not yet put it on his place. On him. Okay, we've got to move on. So David restrained the servants with these words, and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. David also went after, the cave, after him out of the cave, and then called out to Saul and said, My lord the king, when Saul looked behind, David stooped, with his face to the earth and bowed down. He's not bowing down to the man, Saul. He's respecting the authority of the king that God put on him. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Indeed, David seeks to you harm? The Lord this day... this Verse 10. The Lord... Look, this day... Your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you into my hand in the cave, and someone urged me to kill you. And they said, why would the Lord do this if he didn't want him killed? Well, I think there's several reasons here, and this is my thought. I think in some ways it was a test of David. God will test you. God won't test you so that God will find out what's in your heart. God will test you to give you an opportunity to bring out of your heart what you've already put there. It's under the pressure you find out what's in the heart. The only way I know to find out whether a grape is seedless or has a seed in it is to squeeze it. Under pressure we find out what the seed, whether there's a seed in us or not. 
So the Lord put you into the situation, delivered you into my hand. But, but, but my eyes spared you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for He is the Lord's anointed. I will not come against God's authority on this king, even though he's against me, even though he's evil, even though God said he's done with him and he's going to give it, even though it's mine. I won't take it for myself. Remember Eve? She took what God told her not to take because she decided for herself it was what would be good for her even though God said not to do it. The root of rebellion is to take it into your own hands irrespective of what God said. David would not do that. He was a man after God's heart. Let's go to 1 Samuel 26. Here's another opportunity that's happened. Now the Ziphites, they were from Ziph, I guess, <laughs> came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding in the hill of Hikalah? Opposite Jeshimon. And Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having three thousand, here they are again, chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. David's hiding out. He's hiding out in rocks. He's hiding out in caves. Because Saul has got his army no longer focused on the Philistines. His whole army is now after David, whom God has now anointed to be king. Verse 4, David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul had indeed come. So David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped, and David saw where Saul lay. So he's coming to the camp, it must be at night, and we're going to see Saul's asleep. And Abner, the son of Ner, this is Saul's uh, uncle, his cousin, excuse me, the commander of the army, now Saul lay with the camp, within the camp, and the people encamped all around him. So the scene is, he sent out spies, and they said, yeah, Saul is here, he's coming against you. And they come in at night, and Saul's asleep in the middle of the camp, and, Ner, the, uh, and, and Abner, the commander of Saul's army, is asleep near him. So nobody's watching the king. Verse 6, And David answered and said to Abimelech the Hittite and to Abishai the son of Zeruah, the brother of Joab, saying, Will you go down with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. And so David and Abishai came down to the people at night, and there Saul lay sleeping within the camp. Look at this. With his spear stuck in the ground next to his head. Wow, what an opportunity. And Abner, his guard, the chief of the secret service lay and the people lay all around him. Verse 8, And Abishai said to David, here we go again, God has delivered your enemy into your hands this day. Now therefore, please, just let me strike him. The spear's right there. All I got to do is move it six inches. Boop. Boom. Oh, sorry about that, king. 
Here's the opportunity. I mean, I mean, look, just look at the circumstances. See, this is where danger. Look at the circumstances. Look at the opportunity God's obviously given you. God's taken the throne away from him already. He's anointed you that you have a right to be king. This man's in your way. And here God has given you the opportunity to receive. This is a gift from God. Man, you blew it last time. Don't blow it now. Now therefore, please let me strike him at once with the spear right into the earth. And I will not strike him a second time. In other words, I'm not going to miss. Verse 9. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? I will not let you touch him. Not because Saul's a good man, not because Saul has been good to me, because he is the authority that God has placed here, even though God's going to remove it and give it to me. He still has that mantle. And I will not touch God's anointed and be guiltless. Moses, we don't have time in this series to go into Moses, but Moses several times had people come against him. The most telling time to me was when his own brother and sister came against him. And they got kind of lifted up by the fact that they flew in the, flew, that they flowed in the gifts of the Spirit. They said, does God just speak to him? He speaks through us too. Who's, who, after all, he's, he's bro, our, our brother. We knew the kid. And Moses hears this and falls on his face in front of God, in front of them, to plead for them, because when they came against Moses, God showed up in a cloud and dealt with them. Moses knew, understood God's authority so that he pled for them. I've had people come against me, and I pray, pray for them. Not because God's going to strike them dead, I pray for them because they don't understand what they're doing. I can't go there. Okay. Verse 10. David said, Furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him, or this day shall come to die, or shall go out into battle and perish. In other words, how it actually gets transferred to me is not in my hands, it's in God's hands. I'm not going to take it into my own hands. That's what Eve did. That's what Lucifer did. That's what Satan gets us to do by reasoning. Remember she said she saw that the fruit was good to eat even though God said don't eat it. But she exercised her own independent judgment based on what she saw and what she thought about it. And God said don't eat it. He didn't say, don't eat it because it doesn't look good. He didn't say, don't eat it because it's rotten and I'll give you a better one. He just said, don't eat it. That's all she needed to know. David will not exercise his own independent judgment about how that mantle gets passed on to him. That's God's business. That's God's business.
Okay. Verse 12, David took the spear and the jug of water by Saul's head, and they got away, and no man knew or saw or knew it was awake. They were all asleep because of the deep sleep from the Lord which had fallen on them. Now David went over to the other side and stood on the top of the hill far off a great distance between them. And David called out to the people and to Abner, the son of Ner, said, Do you not answer Ner? He's going he's to scold Abner. Because Abner should have been watching over his king. The man who's trying to kill David. You don't recognize the authority of the king. You don't recognize the responsibility you've been given. David, his enemy, did. David called out to the people to Abner, the son of Ner, and said, Do you not answer, Abner? And Abner answered and said, Who are you calling out to the king? And David said to Abner, Are you not a man? Who is there like you in Israel? Why have you not guarded your lord, the king? For, the one, for one of the people came in to destroy the lord, the king. And this thing you've done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you've not guarded your master. The Lord's anointed. Now see where the king's spear is. No, he didn't do that. Now see where the king's spear is and the jug of water was by his head. Now notice David's not taunting Saul by saying, look what I could have done to you. David's mad at his chief of his secret service by saying, we were able to take this because you didn't do your job, because you don't respect the authority, the position of that king. So David's heart was very different than Saul's heart. This is why God said, I'm going to choose a man who's after my heart. Notice the heart that pleased God was directly tied to the heart's respect for the authority that God gives. This is why rebellion and disrespect are so, so critical. The Bible says in latter days, children will be disrespectful and dishonoring to their parents and to authority. My goodness, is that true today. My goodness, is that true today. The problem is it's in the church. And we can't go where all this came from. Can't do that today. It's God's authority in Saul that David respects and honors from his heart because he recognizes that it came from God. Now it's time to get patched up. In each case that we've looked at, both Saul examples and both of David's examples, in the garden when we looked at Eve and, and I mean her husband, and in heaven when we looked at Lucifer, the issue to God is not the results as much as our respect for the author- His authority. Saul was willing to violate God's authority in order to save himself and his soldiers. Eve was willing to violate God's Word in order to get something better that she thought God was keeping from her. Saul was more concerned about how he looked to others than God's will and God's ways. Saul did not trust that by obeying God, God could do more for him than he could do for himself. All this ties together with rebellion. On the other hand, David's heart gave God's authority a greater place than his own destiny. 
and the timing of that destiny. David would not take his own life into his own hands. He would not take his future into his own hands. He would not take his well-being into his own hands. I mean, he was not staying at the Holiday Inn Express while this was going on. That palace now should belong to him. David's hiding out in caves. Can't even live in some kinds with his family. He's hiding out with about 400 men, 400 to 600 men, hiding in caves and cracks. And if you've ever been to Israel, you know it's not like the glassy plains of Nebraska or something like that. It's a hard place to be living. So this is a deprivation he's going through just to save his own life. But he will not take his deliverance. He will not take his destiny into his own hands because he recognizes that that has to come from God. And he recognizes that until God takes it from Saul, he's not entitled to take it for himself. I vowed to God a long time ago that I would never ask for a place to preach. I would never ask for a place to preach. That's, that's a story I don't want to have time to get into this morning. So let's look into our own hearts. How does this apply to us? What about the situations in our own life? I mean, we're talking about a, a king that lived thousands of years ago, and David lived thousands of years ago, and Eve that was thousands and thousands of years ago. But what about us? How do we handle those situations? I mean, we've got, we've got God speaking to us all the time. He speaks to us in His Word. There are things He says that He's commanded that we do, and then we face situations that look like it's not going to work, or it's not working now, and we take into our own hands to figure out what are we going to do. We had a series, wonderful series by Robert Morris on tithing, and he dealt with this issue in there. We don't tithe in most cases, in some cases ignorance, and don't tithe, there can't be any more here. When we don't tithe, it's because we figure, I'm not sure God really can come through. God, I know it's what your word says, but, when the word but follows, I know what your word says, A, it's always unbelief, and it really comes from, I'm going to substitute my thinking for what God said. That's what Eve did. That's what Saul did. We all deal with this, and I'll speak to that in a moment. From the very time that Adam sinned, rebellion came into our nature. And every person born after that was born with rebellion in our nature. If you don't believe that, spend some time with a two-year-old. It's all about me, getting my will, my way. There was one in a restaurant my wife and I were with yesterday morning, a cute little kid just kept screaming. My grandson Jonathan and I were in Walmart last night and there was a little kid pushing a carriage around, bumping into people and the mother just let him go do that because it was cute. Not if it banged into my heels, it wouldn't be cute. But that's a two-year-old. But as we grow up and become 12-year-olds and 22-year-olds and 32-year-olds and 42-year-olds, that nature's still there. And then nature's, I want to do what I want to do. I got my rights. And we have may, some of us may be more patient with others. Some of us may be more understanding than others. But down inside, when God's Word says to do something, then I exercise my own independent judgment of whether or not I think I ought to do that. That's rebellion. Mm. What do we do? 
Well, I'm going to speak to two different groups this morning in the time we have left because we have the Lord's table today. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. Touched on this last week, but this is what, this is the title of the message. Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit has just been poured out magnificently and powerfully, and, and the people want to know what's going on, and so Peter stands up and preaches this amazing sermon, the first sermon of the church. Peter stands up and preaches. This is the man that only about a little over a month ago denied he even knew Christ three times in one night, not to anybody that could do anything, but to a young girl by a fire outside where Christ was being tried. This same Peter now speaks with great boldness. And he basically tells them that they have crucified the Son of God, the Messiah. You've blown it. You crucified the Messiah. And the people did because they're the ones that cried out, crucify Him. The same group that said, Hosanna, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord, only about five days earlier. So you don't go with the crowd because in the same week they sang Hosanna and the next few days they sang, crucify Him. And Peter now says to them and to the Pharisees, you have crucified the Son of God the Messiah. And look at what they say in verse 36. Therefore let all the house of Israel know that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Verse 37. And when they heard this, they're cut to the heart. It cut their heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do, and that's the title of today's message. If this is rebellion, and I find rebellion in me, what should I do? See, here's the issue. We're living at a time when grace is preached so much that people are told to come to Christ because He's loving, because He'll forgive you, because you'll be blessed, and all that's true. But if that's what brings you to Christ, when you're not feeling the blessings, when you don't feel His love, when things don't go well, when you get persecuted, you'll go somewhere else that gives you those things. If you don't understand why you came to Christ, if you don't understand that this was just not so, you know, we're going to make down, deal down with a road It's maybe at some point this year about heaven and hell and what hell's really like. The Bible says a lot about hell. More about hell than it does heaven. Because we need to know that. That's what we've been saved from, if you have, and that's what our neighbors need to be saved from. What shall we do? So the purpose of this whole series is to bring us to the point that hopefully we're looking at ourselves and really, whoa, wait a minute, I see some rebellion in me. See, we think, we think rebellion is, you know, protesting downtown or, or arguing with somebody publicly or throwing something then, well, I don't, I'm not rebellious, but when we see rebellion is when I take God's Word that says clearly something and I decide to exercise my own independent judgment whether I'm going to obey it or not, that's rebellion. That's why this message isn't popular. That's why the ratings on our TV show have gone down while we've done this. People don't want to hear this. But we need to. Because we're going to stand before the authority someday. And at that point, we need to have heard this now, not then. I'm going to tell you what to do, okay? 
So they were cut to the heart and said, what must we do? Verse 38, Peter said, here's the answer, repent! You don't hear that much of anymore, do you? Repent! What does repent mean? Fall on the floor, do sackcloth and ashes? No, it means change your mind. Admit, I'm rebellious about some things. You can't repent of something you think's your wife's fault. Remember Adam? <laughs> the woman you gave me. <laughs> we have to admit where we are. All right, God, there's rebellion in me. And then what do we do? Well, that depends on which category you're in. So I want to give you a little background here. God sent Jesus to the earth to pay for our rebellion. Whoa, that sounded better. God sent His Son to the earth to pay for our rebellion. Where the first Adam rebelled, the second Adam, Jesus, was obedient. And He was tested and tempted by the devil. But where Satan, where, where Eve and Adam took things into their own hands, Jesus would not. Remember the three temptations? How does Jesus answer them? He doesn't reason. The devil's trying to get him to reason with him. If you're the Son of God, defend yourself. Jesus didn't need to defend himself. He just said, it is written. He went back to what God said. He tried to do the same thing with Jesus he did in the garden with Eve by saying, has God really said this? If you are the Son of God, if you really are, then do these things. Prove to me who you are. All Jesus would say is, it is written. So he was obedient where the first Adam rebelled. When we are born, we're born into Adam's rebellion. I've got the right to do what I want with my life. Who are you to tell me who I am? And we may be nicer about it than that, but that's what's underlying it. It's part of our nature. Ephesians 2, verses 2 and 3 says, talks about us. It said, And back then, before we were saved, we were by nature children of wrath. It was our nature. Our nature. The second Adam was obedient where the first failed. His obedience was in his complete submission to his father's will. John 6, 38 said, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. There are a whole bunch of verses I could have used. He said, I only do the will of my father. I only say what I hear him say and I only do what I hear him. Only is the big word there. I don't have his ideas and my ideas. I mean, this, now, <laughs> this is God's son. It's not like he has bad ideas. So you've got God the Father who's issued his will, and you've got God the Son. So you and I look at what God says, you know what, I think I've got a better idea. Or I think, I'm not sure it would work here. I'm not sure it would apply here. So we argue with God's word, but as if we really know more than God does. But now you've got God's Son. He knows what the Father knows. You talk about having good ideas. So it's not about how much he understands. It's submission to the Father's will for why he sent him here. 
I come only to do my Father's will. John 4, 34, when the disciples come back from McDonald's and Burger King and Chick-fil-A because it wasn't a Sunday. (laughs) And Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. And they bring the bags of food and he says, I'm not hungry. You're not hungry. Did you get some food here? Did she have some food? He says, no, my food, what sustains me and what satisfies me is to do the will of the Father and to finish it. So Jesus was obedient. He, he submitted to the Father's plan and will where Adam and Eve disobeyed it. And so the second Adam was righteous and obedient where the first... You understand the righteousness He's given us? He earned. Well, I don't have time to go there. So by the death of the obedient one, He paid for our disobedience. For the, by the death of the one that submitted, He paid for our rebellion. This is why there's hope. More than hope. Now I'm going to talk to two different groups of people now. First of all, if you've never given your life to Christ, you are in rebellion against the God of the universe. See, I think sometimes we present Christ as just an option. You want to go to heaven? You need Jesus. No, you're in rebellion against the God of the universe if you refuse to give your life to Christ. So is that, how can that be true? Acts 17. Paul is preaching to a, a message to the, on the Mars Hill in Athens. And Paul says these words. Acts 17, verse 30. Truly these are time, these times of ignorance, talking about when people worshipped idols before Christ came. These times of ignorance God overlooked, but He now commands all men everywhere to repent. He commands it. Because He's appointed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by the man, that's Christ, whom He's ordained and has given, and He has given assurance of this to all by raising Him from the dead. There'll come a day when every, every man, woman, and child that's ever breathed will stand before Him. It's the day that we will be judged. And is your judgment going to be that you're going to stand before God in your rebellion against the God you've rebelled against? Because if you have never received Christ, you're in rebellion against God. The good news is you can do something about it. And I'm going to give you that chance in a moment. If you are in Christ, you still have a tendency to rebel. Am I the only person here that ever ever did it? Oh boy, we're getting an older call now. We've got more people saved. Look at this. Isn't this wonderful? The rest of you are liars. You know what happens to liars? If you understand what rebellion means, you've done it this morning probably. Some of you are doing it right now. I don't want to hear this. I don't want to hear this. 
I don't, I don't need this. That's, you're exercising your judgment against God's Word. That's rebellion. It's in, our, it's, in our, it's in our flesh. When you were born again, when you came to Christ, when you received Christ, the part of you that changed was your inner man, your spirit man. You became born again. Now the nature that was born into you is a nature born out of God. First John says, or John chapter 1 says, and that nature has God's nature in it. So your nature is no longer to be rebellious. Your nature isn't. But God didn't change your flesh. And God didn't change your soul. That's our job. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable, ser- your reasonable service. So we are to take control and authority over our bodies because our body does not want to do what God wants to do. It, wants, it has its own way. That's what fasting's about. Fasting is to tell your body, you're not in charge, I'm in charge. But you've got a soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. They don't want to do what God wants to do either. They're used to being in control. And you've got a, verse 2 says, therefore be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transform means to take the inner nature that's now you and to bring it to the outside where it begins to affect people that are around you. So what do we do? All right, I'm, I'm born again. My nature is not rebellious, but I still got a lot of rebellion in me that still wants to do what I want to do. Glad you asked that question. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Say, Pastor, you said this is going to get better. Where, where, when's that coming? Hang on. Hang on. Verse 23. Now this is going to sound like we're going the other direction. And he, Jesus, said to them, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Deny himself is the first thing. What's that? To tell the two-year-old in you, you can't have your way. You have to do that. You have to tell your flesh. You have to tell your soul that once I, I don't want to do that. You've got to tell your soul, I'm denying you. So I get up in the morning and set myself on this. I go through these three steps. All right, John, I'm, we're denying you today. You being just me, my right to have my own will done today. You're den- I'm denying that today. Peter denied Christ, he even knew him. We need to deny ourselves that same way. You don't have the right, John, today, because you're in Christ. You no longer have the right to judge what you're going to do as opposed to God's Word. You surrendered that. See, by the way, you did too. When you came to Christ, you surrendered that right, because He can't be Lord and you be Lord at the same time. So we call Him Lord, then that means we surrendered that right to Him. So I'm living in violation of what I've already surrendered to. Ah, this is where grace comes in. Ah, this is where grace now comes in. Because grace comes in because you can't do this on your own. You need the power of the Holy Spirit in you 
to overcome your flesh, the power of the Holy Spirit in you to overcome the life of God in you, to overcome the rebellion in my mind. I don't why would I want to do that? So what grace does, grace allows us to now bring the struggle to Him. One of my favorite scriptures, because I've spent a lot of time there, is Hebrews 4.16. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The verses before said, Jesus is a faithful high priest. He's touched with the feeling of our infirmities, having been tempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin. Jesus knows what that struggle like. He went through it in the garden. Struggling. Lord, if there's any other way, is there any other way to do this besides bearing this cup? Matthew's account, he had to go three times. He asked his disciples to pray for him because there was a battle going on within him. So he knows what that struggle's like in you. So be honest with him. Say, Lord, I'm struggling with this. I now, after this, hearing this series, realize there's rebellion in me that I don't want to do what you want me to do. Go talk to him about it. Admit it. Ask him to help you. Be vulnerable before... He's not going to sit there and say, Oh my gosh! You've got some rebellion in you! Oh my... No, he's trying to get you to see it. So he can free you from it. Take up, deny ourselves, take up our cross daily. That means bear whatever Jesus bore and follow Him. We can't follow Him unless we deny ourselves, take up His cross, and then we can follow Him. But we're going to learn down the road this year, that's where the freedom is. That's where the joy is. The struggle you go through the depression, the discouragement, all the stuff you deal with is a struggle with you. Nobody likes me. I have a bad self-image. Well, you need to get saved. Because it isn't about your self-image. It's about Christ in you. The hope of... If you've got a self-image, that's your problem. You have an image of yourself separated from Christ. I don't have time to... Lord, help me to finish this. Mm. Lord, help me to finish this. Take up your cross daily. So bring it to Him. Face the rebellion. And the Holy Spirit's in there. He'll show you. I'm telling you, it's become like bold relief to me at times. Selfish motives for things. Praying for people. Did I pray for the people I was supposed to? That's about me, not them. Did I, did I do what I was supposed to do today? That's about me. Jesus didn't come to the end of the day and say, I wonder if I did what I was supposed to do today. He was so absorbed in the Father and His will, He wasn't aware of Himself. Remember the, the garden before Satan showed up? They were both naked and were not ashamed. They weren't aware of themselves. This is where God wants to get us back to. We're, not aware, we're only aware of Christ because we're in Christ. We're part of Him. And He's the part we need. We're complete in Christ. And Satan wants to show you how you're failing, how you're incomplete. You're not enough. You're not that. That's right, I'm not. 
But I'm not out here on my own. I'm in Christ and He's enough. <laughs> I got to end here. I woke up this morning so tired, so weary, just in my soul about some, just some battles. Just tired and weary. Oh God, I got to preach two sermons today. And I love to preach. God, I don't know if I got the strength to do it. And I remember verses started coming. See, there's the Holy Spirit. Verses started coming to me. Verses started coming. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Not because he called on Christ and Christ came and helped him, because he was in Christ. And Paul says, I've, I've learned that in my weakness, his strength is perfected because we're one. So instead of glory coming to my strength, the glory comes to his strength that's shown up in my weakness. So if you're a Christian, you need to face and be willing to face the rebellion in us because it's keeping the Holy Spirit from doing what He wants to do in your life and here. What's holding the Holy Spirit back, the revival, is rebellion in our lives because we're not open. He had to have free will, free reign in their lives. And you know how they got it? Because they failed. They all failed. It wasn't just Peter. They all failed Jesus. They ran back home and went back to fishing. Jesus had to rebuke them for their unbelief. After He's been raised from the dead, He's rebuking the hardness of their heart. But when they came to the end of themselves and faced where they were, now the Holy Spirit could come and fill the vacuum, fill the gap. When they emptied out themselves, He could come and fill them with Himself. And that's what He wants to do here. The miracles, the things the Holy Spirit can do. We have to be willing to repent. Face it. But I want to talk to the first group now, because we're about to serve the Lord's table. If you're here this morning and you've never come to Christ, you've never surrendered your life to Him, Aisha said a few minutes earlier, and I said it out of God's Word, you're in rebellion against the God of the universe. He's not mad at you. He loves you enough that He sent Jesus to pay for your rebellion. The only thing you are going to be condemned for, if that's you, is you rejected the gift of His Son to take away your rebellion. And you'll stand before Him in your own right with your own rebellion against the God of the universe. If that's you, I want to give you that opportunity right now before we receive the Lord's table. If you've never received Christ as the one that paid for your rebellion and your sin. You've never asked Him to come into your life. I want to give you that chance right now. I want to pray for you and I want to pray with you, but I need you to let me know by raising your hand.